Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast today is someone who has dedicated so much of their life to the game of college tennis. Of course, you may know her as a former All-American during her time playing at UCLA, or perhaps now you know her as I do as a head coach of the University of Miami women's tennis team. Welcome to the show, head coach Paige Twos. Coach, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is um, our pleasure. And, you know, obviously, I I have to ask the question, 25 years of college tennis, what's the draw? What's the allure? What keeps bringing you back? Listen, I I love um, I love developing kids. I Mm -hmm. love, um, you know, getting kids kind of on their own for the first time in their career, you know, away from their parents, away from private coaches and, uh, you know, helping them navigate how to how to just become a better athlete, you know, a better student athlete. Mm -hmm. And with all of that in mind, I'm curious, getting your team back on campus this fall, I know obviously last fall must have been so difficult for everyone. How nice has it been to just have a sense of normalcy return to the program? No, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing. I think everybody was really looking forward to it. And um, yeah, just getting that sense of normalcy back, that, that, you know, the practice schedule back and everything just back in line has – has just been a relief, I think, more than anything. Mm -hmm. And when I'm looking at your roster last season, I know I think you only had one player born in the U.S., and the reason I bring that up is because how many of your uh, players did you actually even have on campus last year? I imagine it was not the entire team. 
Uh, actually, um, just because of the situation and because of, um, you know, what was going on just in the world, mm -hmm. we, we had quite a few kids, um, in the fall, I didn't have a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I recommended that, that they went home the spring before, mm -hmm. but, uh, I, I really only had a few kids that, you know, decided to stay on campus. Um, but they were coming kind of in and out just because of the remote learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, I, I mean, last season, remote learning was the buzzword for all of us. And <laughs> I, I'm curious, the reason I bring that up is because I'm looking through uh, your team from last year. And actually, compared to a lot of other rosters, it's fairly stable. But I'm curious because I think you played 10 different doubles pairings last year, which for the record is a pretty average number. Is that a byproduct of a lack of continuity? You know, again, a lack of practice time in the fall. What leads to that number of doubles pairings? I mean, <laughs> that's a great question. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, it's probably the byproduct of us just really not being such a strong doubles program, not, <laughs> not such a strong um, doubles team, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, we've had to kind of just get the puzzle together, you know, mm -hmm. kind of looking at our opponents, looking at what, what's going to present um, from our opponents and changing lineups accordingly. Uh you know, I think this year we've got a much better handle on that, but kind of last year it was just kind of taking it match by match and just, uh, you know, trying to figure out where we were going to get our W's. And, you know, when you play college tennis and, and you're looking to try to get in a doubles point, you need to get two of the three. So uh, more than anything, it was just trying to look at our opponents and figure out, you know, where we could come up with two and, and, um, mm -hmm. and yeah. And so we were just having to, you know, move around, a lot as you could see yeah now that's half the fun of the college tennis dual match season figuring out what works what doesn't and i'm curious for you uh, again it was a, a relatively young team last year minus stella who has seen it all but uh you know in a season like that is it more important to just find teams that can pair together and again patch together wins or is it more about you know developing for the future and teaching them that miami playbook i mean honestly uh Honestly, last year, it was more about kind of just getting it done in the moment. Sure. You know, getting it done in the moment. I mean, so many of us were working on the same things. You know, we, mm -hmm. were, we were playing a little scared. Mm -hmm. And um, it doubles at whatever number, at whatever level, you know, you can't play scared. So, you know, obviously, you want to put a more maybe aggressive player with a more finesse player. And, you know, at times, we were just trying to find that aggressive player. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Miami playbook is, is more about like understanding each and every player's strengths and each and every player's weaknesses and kind of working with them and within that. And, um, you know, being, being as young as we were, obviously it took some time to kind of figure out where we wanted to be, you know, come NCAAs, but, you know, each, each year is different and each year poses, um, you know, different struggles right mm -hmm. and uh and and last year you know it was something that we maneuvered through and and i think that towards the end of the season you know we had a better handle on it mm -hmm. i'm curious because you've had many a great pro, uh, players filter through the miami program during your tenure you can go to audra cohen or uh, valverdu 
you know, I'll get to the Mount Rushmore Miami question later, but I'm curious, how helpful is it for you to have someone like Stella at the top of the lineup who, of course, you look at the numbers last year, 19-2 and two at that number one position. That's as good as it gets. I imagine given all the conditions, given the COVID, given the everything, it had to have helped to have a senior like that at the top. I mean, of course, you know, when you have a leader like that at the top of your lineup, um, it it does nothing but help your program, right? Mm -hmm. Um, From a leadership standpoint, from a talent standpoint, from, you know, just being a veteran and understanding what's around the corner, um, it, of of course, is very beneficial on, on every level. Mm-hmm. Would you have liked to see Stella get the U.S. Open wild card? Where are you on that? U.S. You know, should the USDA offer the wild card regardless of nationality of the champion? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting question. Uh, huh. Look, uh, I understand how the wild card works, right? Mm-hmm. I understand that we're trying to promote American tennis, and um, by no means do I want to say that I think Stella deserved the wild card. Um, just because the, the USTA, you know, handles that wild card the way they do. And I have to respect that, respect what they're trying to do for American tennis. Um, so no, I mean, right. We play within the rules. We play, we play, we play by the guidelines and, um, could have Stella, you know, did, did she deserve it in terms of talent, in terms of results? Probably. Yes. Um, does she fit the criteria? No. So I, at the end of the day, you got to say it's a no. Yeah, that's fair. I guess my argument in favor, and I, I'm sure it's not one I have to make to you because you're well aware of it, but just for the <laughs> listeners, um, it's just, and it's, I guess I, why it's the USTA's burden to, you know, be responsible for college tennis when it really is a global product nowadays, that's perhaps a separate discussion. But if college tennis is based in the United States and the USTA is going to own college tennis, I think the way you own it is by building a brand and just saying, regardless, this is our NCAA champion. This is the representative of college tennis. And in my dream scenario, scenario and i'll get funky with you with a question here early on i think the the dream scenario you move ncaa individuals to the fall you play it that second week of the u.s open and to qualify for it you have to play the spring prior so we are holding it a full year later and i know that's an issue but just the second week of a u.s open the second week of any slam you're looking to fill courts and what better way for college tennis to be put on a pedestal than to fill the second week of the u.s open so that's to me it's a full circle package but i don't know where are you individuals and i suppose everything i just threw at you no i mean i understand what you're saying in terms of you know possibly moving the the individual tournament i know that there's a lot of momentum Mm -hmm. uh surrounding that right now you know unfortunately what a lot of people are also saying is is if you move an individual tournament Mm -hmm. you know you're probably going to have some players that might not stick around for the team event that might Mm -hmm. not even stick around for the team duels believe Mm -hmm. it or not um and that's not something that you want to see happen either so uh listen the the best way that we could promote american tennis right Mm -hmm. college tennis i mean i'm an advocate for i mean of course i've had a lot of incredible internationals come through my program and and listen i i uh i would support anything that 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 a kid like samariba would would qualify for and i obviously think from a talent standpoint she's deserving of it all um you know but unfortunately or fortunately you know there's guidelines that that have to be met and criteria that has to be met and you know just unfortunately she just didn't meet it 
Yeah, no, There's not it, much you can do. Yeah, no, it, it, it's totally fair. And again, not to make this entirely the Stella show, I do want to talk about some of the other standouts uh, in your lineup last season. In particular, uh, freshman Isabella Fenning, who goes 17-5 and five in dual matches as a freshman. Again, you've had a lot of special performers come through the Miami program. What allows a freshman to have that sort of season? You know, I mean, Bella Fenning comes in and she's a super, super disciplined kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just absorbing everything in front of her, um, taking taking the program in, you know, and all, all of the successful kids that we've ever had come through this program, you know, they arrive in Miami and they just absorb. They're mm-hmm. sponges, um, you know, and and Bella Fenning is, is just another one of them. She puts all of her trust in the coaching staff. She puts all of her trust in uh, – in the support staff that we have at the school. And uh, she's an incredible tennis player. Uh, and, you know, you work hard and, and you add to some of her talent that she already has. And then you add like an incredible staff around her from, you know, physically, mm-hmm. uh, from PTs to strength and conditioning coaches to coaches to, you know, and all of a sudden these kids just start to blossom. And um, and she's just an, she's an incredible person. She's an incredible student. And, uh, I mean, her future is going to be very bright. Mm-hmm. Is she ready to step up to that number one singles position? Uh, you know, ready. <laughs> <laughs> ready. Like, you know, I mean, I think she's ready. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think she's ready. Uh, you never really know, right, until you're mm-hmm. put into the ring and you're punched a few times if a kid's <laughs> actually ready. Because, um, you know, it's easy to talk about it. It's not really easy to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, look, I believe in her. Um, I believe in all of my girls. And, uh, y- you know, you never really know if a kid is ready until you see how they react to the punches. Mm-hmm. And well, um, she, well, I- she, has, she has all the qualities that she needs, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a tough conference. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, you, you got to be resilient and uh, you can't let the highs get too high or the lows get too low. So it's, it's, it will be an interesting season. You know, I'm excited. I'm, I'm always excited. You know, I've had that question asked me so many times over the years, like, well, is the next kid ready? Yeah. Um, you know, it, like, I don't know, you know, I'm a coach, <laughs> right? Like I do my best to get these kids prepared, but at the end of the day, you know, it falls on their shoulders and, uh, if, if they're ready to be ready, then you know what? She'll be ready. That's what I like to hear. And you talk about taking punches. <laughs> uh, obviously, last season, 15-9 overall, 8-5 and five in the conference. But, you know, the conference was as good as it gets. And, you know, Duke's always been good. And you can go down the list. UNC's always going to be good. But to see, you know, you guys and NC State and Florida State and Virginia, and you can just go down, you know, up and down the list, Georgia Tech, how challenging well i guess having a conference like that more challenging or more exciting for you from a coaching perspective um for me i mean absolutely more exciting right yeah uh absolutely more exciting because i mean if we don't show up to play the worst team in our conference we could lose mm-hmm. i mean that's that's the talent that we have in our conference so you know a lot of a lot of people kind of take that for granted. I don't. I mean, I would much rather play a strong schedule, a strong conference, uh, than, you know, be able to go through the motions and win matches. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it, it builds character. It makes us better. 
Um, I mean, every match is an absolute grind. And um, no, from a coaching standpoint, absolutely more exciting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think last year you guys played eight four three matches, which shout out to you for just surviving that. That's super, super impressive, Coach. Um, but, you know, again, for a, te- for a team like that, and I, I guess the four three matches, is that a byproduct of the competition, the no-ad scoring, somewhere in between? I mean, quite honestly, I think it was just a byproduct of us, us just being a, a little short, right? Mm-hmm. a little short you know i'm not the type of coach or the type of person that likes <laughs> to say well you know i mean had we got one more point in eight matches i mean we would have been top 10 in the country the reality is we didn't get one more point in eight matches and um you know and we lost a, a good portion of those four or three matches we won a couple big ones but um no we were a little short we mm-hmm. were definitely a little bit short we were a little um we were I think a little green in terms of like understanding, you know, how disciplined you actually have to be to pull in these matches, how resilient, Mm -hmm. how mentally tough. I think uh, some of those four, three matches just came down to just us not having the experience of being in those situations. Mm -hmm. And, um, and look, I mean, four, three matches hurt, you know, nobody, (laughs) nobody likes to lose a four, three match. I mean, sometimes I'd rather just lose a 6-1 match than a 4-3 match. Yeah. But, uh, but I think it teaches you a lot too, you know, and it, and it keeps that carrot in front of your team and it, um, it builds character. And, and, you know, being close is, is okay, but it, no, in, in our book, it's, it's not good enough. Yeah. I, my question is, you know, I have a theory and I think it's a true theory. Uh, I guess it's just a fact. Uh, it's significantly harder to watch than it is to play those big matches. And so, again, you've played them at UCLA. I don't know how you can do it for 20 plus years just watching four, these four. Th- I feel like it, it must kill you as a coach. Uh, you know what? It, it really doesn't. I, okay. I love it. Yeah. No, it really, it really doesn't. I love it. Don't get me wrong. There's times that I want to take a racket out of one of my players' hands and go, and go hit some aces for them. But uh, no, it's, it's. I love it. I, um, I love competition. It's it, whatever. Whether I'm competing with with our program or I'm competing with anything. I mean, I'm a competitive person and. Uh, and and I love it. I love being a part of it. No, and it, I I'm curious because you look every season. I feel like and part of it is a weather thing. But talk to me about the home court advantage you guys have down in Miami because I feel like every year there's a late February or late March loss that you don't. Someone's coming down to Miami and you guys are just going to chop them four three. Is that again? What what about the environment leads to that sort of success? I mean, it's a tough place to play, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 let's be honest we're getting some teams that have been indoors mm-hmm. uh that haven't that haven't seen the sun that haven't seen the wind that haven't seen the long points um our courts aren't aren't the fastest mm-hmm. uh and you know a lot of our games you know we know when we get an indoor team outside you know and they want to blast winners within like the first four balls mm-hmm. you know we know how to lift we know how to neutralize we know how to work and and we know how to be annoying and uh you know that's part of that's part of coming to coral gables it's you know and and then we you know we get to sit in that same seat when we've got to go to syracuse and play on fast courts with no space and kids are blasting balls in our face so it you know i think it all evens out 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not easy playing playing at Miami. Mm-hmm. No, no doubt about that. And again, last 2021-centric question for you, but obviously we were in the heat of Orlando last year for the NCAA tournament and got hotter with every passing day. I'm still slightly sunburnt from the three weeks down there. The match of the tournament... Stella's comeback against Abby Forbes, and uh, for listeners that don't know, I think that was, what, quarterfinals? Maybe, yeah, I think it was quarterfinals, because then she won yeah. the next day, and I was like, how is there anything left in the tank? Um, but that match, I'm just curious, because I'm sure, what did you, what were your experiences through that match, and just seeing her come back? What was she down, 5-0 in the second? Yeah, she, uh, I don't know if it's 5-0 or 5-1. 5-1, uh, yeah. yeah. She had a pretty big hole. Uh, you know, she she truly wasn't ready to go home. Mm-hmm. She wasn't ready to go home, and and I I believe in all the kids that I coach, but uh, you know especially Stella. You you give her a game plan. You tell her what to do. She understands her opponent. Like it's mm-hmm. one thing to say, well, Samariva's down five one in third against Forbes, but um, you know we have kind of a different way of sometimes looking at things. That like Forbes is up. 5-1 on Samariba, right? Yeah. NCAA champion, and now this kid's trying to close, and we're trying to hang on, and sometimes it's easier to hang on than close. Mm-hmm. And um, Stella and I are, you know, we're smart enough to figure that out and put that together, and um, you know, we noticed Forbes getting a little tight there for a couple points. Stella mm-hmm. starts kind of feeling her forehand, whether that's because she noticed Forbes got a little tight or not, I don't know. But um, I just kept telling her I wanted to see her back for one more changeover. Yeah. You know, I, I need to see you for one more changeover. And, you know, we kind of broke it down, you know, two games at a time. And, you know, and then when you're looking at a 5-4 changeover, you know, now you're looking at your opponent and, and we've got a ball game going on. And mm-hmm. um, and that's what we're about. And that's what she was about is just, just out competing. You know, Forbes outplayed her. We outcompeted her and we walked away with a – with a with a tight victory but yeah it was pretty impressive yeah and the best part was that match was like 11 a.m to 2 p.m the the worst time in the day and just yeah to your point stella just kept coming got better and better and better and it was you know just that run even even coming short against navarro or yeah navarro it's still um you know again it's it what a career uh for uh, it was navarro right it's all blending together was she on the davatilla side yeah, no, it was Navarro in the finals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so, again, it was just a fantastic career for her. But now we turn the page to 2022, no pun intended there, um, and we look <laughs> uh, at, you know, some of the standout performers for you this fall, and someone who's jumped out to me is Diana Coden, who you look at what she was able to do last year, 13-8 and eight in singles. She jumps out to 8-3 and three here this fall, and obviously she was someone who contributed very well at the back half of the lineup last year. Let's start there as we work our way through some of the new faces. Uh, what's been the big jump for her this fall? Listen, D's, uh, she's gotten fitter. Mm-hmm. You know, she's gotten fitter. She's gotten more confident. She um, she has gotten more comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she just kind of knows what this is all about. She knows what to expect. And um, she's she's playing closer to the baseline. She's playing kind of more of offensive tennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's having a blast, you know, she's, she's enjoying the work. She's enjoying, um, she's enjoying the competition and, and she's a competitor. You know, this kid is, she's, she's tough. She, she, you know, some kids like to be out there, uh, when the match is on the line, some kids don't, 
and uh, D's one kid that wants to be out there when the match is on the line. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that, that, you know, her numbers stand out to you because she's been doing an incredible job. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I mean, you can see it in the results, no doubt about that. I'm also curious about the two transfers you bring in, in Audrey and Eden, and, you know, more broadly, even before we talk about them specifically, where are you at in terms of, you know, the balance? And I know right now it's a unique situation. We have five classes of high school graduates right now competing in college tennis, and that's a byproduct of the extra year extended due to COVID. But where are you right now in terms of balancing, you know, again, recruiting for the future, bringing in freshmen as always, versus, you know, turning to the availability of the transfer portal and filling gaps in the immediate to make sure you have a team that can compete? Yeah, so um, I think it all depends on the individual, right? (laughs) Um, Of course, I think I'm leaning more towards bringing in kids that are going to have multiple years right? To compete Mm -hmm. for us, to get to understand the culture of the program, to dive in. Uh, But when Eden Richardson entered the portal, uh, we were were looking for a kid at that point in time. And she kind of stood out. She stood out to us because, you know, I mean, she's won an NCAA title in doubles. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we knew we were losing an NCAA champion. (laughs) Whenever you have somebody that you could add to your team that's won a title, I, I just think that tells you a lot about the person, about their level, um, about their commitment. After talking to Eden and after talking to her family, I could tell that, you know, you got to be careful when you're in a city like Miami, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest with you, that kids just don't want to come and hang out for a fifth year, mm-hmm. right? Hit some tennis balls, kind of get a fifth year, get a master's. I mean, that's not what we're about. We're about mm-hmm. um, diving in and and working and and trying to to really be successful and um i you know i'm leaning more towards having kids join the team that are going to have multiple years um (laughs) with the one exception (laughs) here of of eden you know audrey's only had one year at baylor Mm -hmm. uh so yeah and you know the current kids that i have on my team they're having to earn their positions right Mm -hmm. i have some kids that that could uh take advantage of that fifth COVID year. Um, but if they're going to do that, they're going to have to prove that um, that they want to continue getting better. Mm-hmm. And um, again, you talk about the depth on your lineup this season, a lot of success across the board uh, for many of your team members. How has that depth played out here in fall practices? Well, you know, what are you seeing across the board from your team? I mean, we're seeing a group of girls right now that could, that could really – intermix into just so many different positions so it's going to be you know it's going to be it's not going to be tough but you know it's going to be um interesting how we put together you know the lineup in terms of in terms of the depth chart and you know i think the one good thing going back to like the doubles conversation is i think that our doubles has um played out pretty well you know i think that some of our doubles teams have really 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 meshed this fall and we've kept them together and um they're just getting better and better as as doubles teams so um yeah i mean we're gonna have opportunities to win matches everywhere in the lineup the way that the way that i'm seeing this play out Mm -hmm. and in terms of scheduling i know last year there were restrictions placed on so many schools and one of the things that was waived last season was the 500 rule which for listeners that don't know the 500 rule you have to be 500 or better to qualify for the ncaa tournament 
Would you be fine if the 500 rule never came back? I would be fine if the 500 rule never came back. <laughs> You're a fan? You know, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't – I just think that, you know, it turns into overplaying the kids, mm-hmm. you know, playing so many of these of these double headers just, you know, just to get the numbers up. I don't know. I would be fine if the 500 rule never came back. Where are you on the tw- 25 competitive dates? I know some coaches say it's not enough, particularly in a sport like tennis. And you look at for the pro, if college is going to be a pathway to the pros, they have to just play 25 dates isn't enough for so many of these players. Where are you on that number? Oh, I, I mean, I think that we could we could push the 25 dates a little. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I, I could see where 25 dates for a kid that's, you know, uh, aspiring to be a pro might kind of be a low number but at the end of the day if these kids want to be pros like they need to come in and they need to absolutely light up college tennis first mm-hmm. right i mean you know everybody talks about that they want to be a pro and that it's i mean and that's amazing right mm-hmm. but uh but just like i've told the best kids that have played for miami you know those are great goals to have but like we need to focus on the day-to-day and Let's try to be the best we could be in college tennis. And that's, you know, it's pretty darn hard to do. <laughs> no, I, I can only imagine. And, you know, again, I, I do want to talk more broadly, but I'm curious, um, is, is you know, again, where you're at in terms of college as a pathway to the pros, you look at some of the numbers and on the women's side, the one stands out is obviously Jennifer Brady and Danielle Collins and with Astra Sharma and, well, you know, what they've been able to do over the past few seasons. Is college tennis a viable pathway to the pros? I absolutely think it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I absolutely think it is. You know, these these kids come in and, and if they're in the right program with kind of a developmental mindset um, and the ability to, you know, still go out and play some of these these events that are out there, these challengers that, that are out there um, and and just getting better, just, just getting stronger, just getting fitter, just becoming more uh, mature. You know, so so much of it too is like just becoming more mature and learning how to like navigate your life and manage your life. And um, listen, I, I've sat on the court with and I've coached against Danielle Collins uh, when she was a player at UVA, and and I think that, I mean, I think that she would absolutely say that college tennis helped catapult her into that next step. Mm-hmm. That said, a top three of Carrie Phoebus, Susie Starrett, and Paige Twos. How do they do in today's college tennis? Oof. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I think we would be pretty successful. <laughs> I, I, I think just having the back of my, my former Bruins, I, I think we would be pretty successful. We were, um, yeah, we had some fire. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious, how has the level changed? Has it changed? Uh, certainly, you would like to think tennis gets better with time the way you like to think anything gets better with time. But is the level that different from what it was? Obviously, you look at some of those teams, late 90s on the men's and women's side, you look at the rosters, they're very, very talented. I mean, very talented, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you've got some players, you know, like you look at Florida, right? Back mm-hmm. in the mid-90s, you're looking at Jill Kravis. You're looking at, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when Lisa played it, played it, Florida. Um, list, co- college, te- I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know if I should be saying this, but I don't, I don't really have a problem with saying it because I would tell my team this, like, you know, 
when when I played college tennis, though, we we had to be a little bit tougher. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're softening the kids up just a little. I think you know we're mm-hmm. we're shortening everything. We're you know now kids go to a tournament and they have to play two matches a day and they talk about it like it's a big deal um, <laughs> you know i mean we played two out of three sets in doubles we played mm-hmm. two out of three sets in singles like um I, I i think that the quality of tennis is is high i think it was high then i think it's high now um i just hope that we're not softening the kids up too much no i, I think that's fair did did you play carry in the 95 singles final i was looking for a record and i just could not find it no 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 okay so- no carrie carrie was uh carrie was my my doubles partner and she was she won a national title at ucla she was the number one player and mm-hmm. senior year i was the number two player Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, that's a squad. That's pretty. She sweeps singles and doubles that year, ninety-five, which great yep. year, um, year of my birth, great year. Um, but <laughs> I, I'm just curious again, what's it like? Because again, you've seen Stella do. What's it like when you have a player like that on the roster, both coaching and player perspective? Uh, it's you know, it it's so powerful. I think mm-hmm. when you, it, as long as you navigate it the right way. I mean, I think that. Uh, as a coach, when you have a player at that level on your roster, you know, you still need to point out all the time that, you know, Stella's point is, is big, but Stella's point is not bigger than the number six kid that, you know, nobody's talking about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's something that is like really important to me to get across to my girls. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes you have certain personalities playing in those top positions that are more prima donnas than others. And um, in order for it to like really click and I think really be as as special as it can be, you know, you need a you need a player in that top spot with the personality of still team as as the number one priority, mm-hmm. even though they're a superstar, they need to understand that, um, you know, the team is the top priority. And, you know, that's something that Stella did exceptionally well. Well, all of this was a setup to ask this question because I know lineup chicanery is a staple of college tennis, and it's something we fans, of course, always come to enjoy. But, and I have a, you know, I'll get to some of the other proposals I have for you a bit later. But an idea of, I call it a lawless lineup. And I understand if you want to group things and go top three, bottom three, that's fine. But if college tennis is going to be development for, you know, players with pro aspirations, doesn't it hurt the sport that, you know, these athletes that you get typecast, I'm a six singles player this year, I'm the five singles player this year, I'm playing against just that slot. Wouldn't it be more beneficial for everyone's development if things got mixed up and you introduced an agent of chaos and it's like, you know, sometimes one plays six, sometimes one plays one. It's just, again, we're trying to develop entire rosters as opposed to, you know, specific individuals. I mean, that from a developmental standpoint i mean i could see how that would work i mean from a competitive standpoint i mean good luck passing that like right with coaches (laughs) and conferences and committees and all other sorts of things uh you know so much of it today is 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 so many so many people and so many coaches sometimes are just so worried about the overall team win right and you Mm -hmm. have to stay focused on the development of the player but um yeah. I mean, it sounds good in theory, but I, I don't know how that would fly. No, that's fair. What I really want to do is lawless lineups. And just because I think 
home i just think a home crowd for a college tennis match an invested home crowd is as impactful of a crowd as you're going to find in all sport because even if it's only 12 people 12 individuals shouting at one person i can guarantee you that one person is hearing all 12 and it's just you know again to introduce an agent of chaos lawless lineups away team submits the lineup in advance home team gets the matchup however you want is it safe to assume you are not in favor of that I mean, it sounds fun. I would be in favor of like an exhibition style. I mean, I think what would sound fun for college tennis as well would be something like a sub, mm-hmm. right? Where where sometimes uh, you know you're you're allowed to sub in one time a match, mm-hmm. and uh, you want to start making things interesting. You know, whatever the score is in that match, the sub gets to jump in and try to figure out. Maybe you know, where two really prominent teams just like try something out. You know, I think obviously it would be a fun thing to try to do. Mm-hmm. No, I, again, this is all a setup for me to introduce my radical ideas to you. Um, but one thing I, I mean, so again, I think the 40 minutes of the doubles point are the most exciting in all of tennis across level and I, across levels. And I know that you know there's it's not fun for you coaches it's essentially russian roulette but my thinking is i'm just always worried about that lull in between doubles and singles where you have this exciting 40 minutes and then for another 30 minutes there's just kind of nothing that happens and i mean not to say first sets aren't nothing but it doesn't really heat up till the end of those first sets my idea is you you know again you go to seven rosters uh, seven spots three singles two doubles and you start it all simultaneously and then to your point, you'd, so as to not typecast the doubles players, let's say you want to sub them in after their double set. You can go ahead and do that. I know it gets funky. It gets complicated. But just I do worry that, you know, that split between doubles and singles, you lose so much momentum from a fan's perspective. I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. You lose so much momentum. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of things proposed they're really not sticking. It's a little unfortunate, but um, again, I think it's going to come down to just programs just kind of rolling the dice and saying like, hey, let's just try this out for fun. Let's bring some fans out to the match and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, the lull between the doubles and the singles is, it's, I mean, coach from a player, from a fan, from everybody's perspective, not even just the fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, a lot of programs now try pizza to fill that lull. It's like, here, take 10 minutes of pizza and it works. But it's just like, I feel like we could do better. Um, All right. I'm going to get radical with you here. I'm going to throw the ideas out at you while we have this theme. I also think the coin toss is just a wasted opportunity. There's a lot of talent around the college tennis coaching ranks. So in lieu of the coin toss, one point drop and hit head coach versus head coach winning coach decides the serving arrangements on every court just imagine that miami crowd going page 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 and they're cheering you on in that point tell me it's not worthwhile no unbelievable idea unbelievable (laughs) idea you definitely get my kids fired up before the match yeah and it's accountability let's say you lose three in a row you're telling me they're not going to sit you down and go coach we got to get you on the court yeah we'd have a tough team meeting for sure Exactly. The author alternative is to do rock, paper, scissors, just because I want to see the meetings where you're like, look, 
paper's the 40% play. Like, we're throwing <laughs> papers across the board. We win three of six, okay? We're good. Um, so these are all the theory. Again, this shows you I have too much time on my hands. Um, I, I'm curious. Another thing I'm asking all of the coaches uh, is, of course, about the incorporation of NIL rules. And I know it's still very, very early in their rules governing international players that don't apply to players from the States. Where are you at in terms of NIL's relationship to college tennis? I think it's unbelievable, right? I think mm-hmm. that any opportunity our kids can uh, can have to to try to just enhance their experience, you know, is a win. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we haven't had anything really really come our way just yet. But you know, when we do, I think we're ready, and um, our kids would be ready to to participate. You know, if it's if it's something that they're interested in in being a part of. Mm-hmm. Is it too early to have those conversations with recruits? Already? Like, does that come up in recruiting now, or is it still a bit too, you know, unclear what the rules actually are? Uh, yeah, no. I mean, that's really at least on the tennis side. I mean, that's not sure. coming up in recruiting mm-hmm. at this point. But it, it, I just again, big picture, the dream is right. If because you're not making money as a pro your first few years on tour, so hypothetically, if NIL could bridge that gap. Isn't that the dream for college tennis is to make it that much more appealing to top juniors to come spend a semester on a campus? No, I mean, of course, if it could bridge that gap, if you could, you know, if there's a way there to to try to make some money, I mean, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, I do think it's fascinating. I'm also curious, and I'm asking this to every coach because for so many of our listeners, perhaps it's the first time they've gotten to hear your voice. Give me the recruiting pitch. Why should I come down to Miami, be a cane? I mean, I think that the recruiting pitch to an international player is probably a little bit different than the recruiting pitch to to an American player. Sure. But um, you know, I think that that we've proven to develop to develop great athletes and to develop great tennis players. And um, I think that historically, if you look through our programming, you look through our our roster and our lineup, uh, it's very evident that you know we've brought in kids and they they improve. Mm-hmm. They improve whether they start at four and end up at two or whether they start at three and end up at one or whether they, you know, struggle in their first year and then they're an All-American their second, third year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have a responsibility to these kids' talent and and it's a responsibility that I take seriously. Mm-hmm. Now, in addition to that, of course, we have a, a wonderful school, you know, a wonderful institution, a wonderful city. Um I, I, I just think it's the complete package. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm, I had a coach back in the day who called me the tennis Ken Dorsey and that I was sneakily unathletic but surprisingly successful. And I took it as a compliment. <laughs> I was like, I'll take it. Thank you. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I mean – I, I, I think you look through history, obviously Miami has been a program that has had so much success, and this gets me to a fun one where I told you, if you're going to swear at me, this might be the moment. Give me the Miami of Florida tennis, Mount Rushmore, the foreheads, the faces of the women's tennis program you put up there. I think it's Oof. like it's probably Audra, Lau, Stella, fourth is unclear. Uh, I think, you know, Megan Bradley – Sure. Uh, that was a transfer from UCLA. Uh, I really think that she kind of put our program on the map, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was a relatively new coach. I was trying to get the program going. Uh, she was a kid that I had worked with in high school. She ended up going out to UCLA to play for one of my best friends. 
um, and called me after her first year and said, listen, I want to transfer. Like, you know, I've, I mean, this is great. You know, I was rookie of the year and, but I got to get back to my roots and I got to get back training. And I think that Megan Bradley absolutely has to be up there. But, um, with that being said, it's, it's tough to keep it at four, you know, it's <laughs> tough to keep it at four because there's been so many, just so many incredible people and so many incredible personalities that have, um, that have really, you know, done all of the work. You know, mm -hmm. I've been lucky, like I tell the kids all the time, I've been lucky to kind of tell the ship where to sail and how the winds are blowing, but you know, these kids are, are rowing the boat and they're putting in the work and they're trusting me. And um, it's, it's, it's pretty special. You know, when you sit, you don't do it every day, right? You don't mm -hmm. think about all the wonderful people that have come through your program each and every day, but I've had some pretty special moments and some special kids. Of this metaphor is Mallory Cecil, the John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, she kind of could be. She kind of <laughs> could be for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, not to bring up uh, the poor memories. But no, again, it's been a program. Uh, you guys have experienced so much success over the years. And I'm curious what it does do. You know, you talk about, uh, obviously, uh, again, there could be so many names you know, early in your tenure, you have you make an NCAA final 2006, and you have Audra win the title in 2007. What does that sort of national success do for the program? You know, I think that I think that people saw that, like, okay, you know, they're serious. Mm -hmm. Like they're serious. You know, now we've we've got a program kind of in the middle of the tennis mecca. You know, being in Miami and um, and you know that having having that success and and what's crazy is it wasn't i don't think it was the success early on as much as the success with so much less talent than the other programs around us you know i mean of course we had we had audra at the top of the lineup we had a local kid uh, melissa applebaum that was mm -hmm. i think two on that on that team but um i mean after that nobody knew who nobody knew who we were mm -hmm. you know nobody nobody knew who our who are three through through seven kids were. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were just a group of just incredibly hardworking, committed kids that just hated to lose. And I think that that was scarier to a lot of people around the country than the fact that, oh, Miami's on the map. It was like, well, Miami's on the map without a whole heck of a lot of talent. <laughs> so like, imagine, imagine what's going to happen when, you know, we start luring some kids with some more talent, you know, that continue on with this culture. And um, yeah, so it's been pretty interesting, right? It's been kind of mm -hmm. a cool ride. No, no doubt about that. You get to re-coach one match. Which do you pick? The 06 final or the Valverde versus Cecil final? Oof, if I could re-coach... That's an unbelievable question. If I could re-coach one match, no, I'll, I'll give you the final against Stanford. They were just better than us. I don't mm. think my coaching would have really made much of a difference. <laughs> I think if I could have had that Cecil Valverde moment over again, uh, we could have won an individual title. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And was it that 2009 season that did Duke beat you guys in the semifinals that year? Oh, nine. Oh, gosh. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I know. It was one my... of those, I think that was the year they ran, made the run to the title. And I believe they now I was talking about this with we had Laura Valverde on earlier. And she's because I think you guys beat them at the ACC championship that year. And then they got you at, at the NCAAs. 
Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Yeah, obviously you've buried these deep away. That's good to know. That's a smart (laughs) move. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, it's good. Um, Again, when you you look at – again, for all of this success and and last couple of questions here, is there something you see from the teams, you know, that the the national finalist teams have or the semifinalist teams have? What are the qualities that transcend all of those teams? Uh, I I think – I think all of those teams have had relentless leaders at the top, mm-hmm. very vocal leaders at the top, uh, kids that aren't afraid to, to speak up and kind of go after their teammates if need be. Um, and ultimately kids that are just not afraid to get uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to make a run in a tournament. It's going to take a little luck. It's going to take a lot of preparation um, but it's gonna it's gonna also take just a lot of discomfort mm-hmm. and having to perform at a very high level in very uncomfortable moments and um, and it's that understanding and awareness of preparation leading into those moments right for mm-hmm. seasons for 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 months mm-hmm. and really buying into the philosophy of like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to be preparing for the, for May Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be preparing for over a year, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't, you can't just step in in January and say, okay, we're going to prepare. So I think it just takes a lot of, a lot of commitment, a lot of understanding and, and it definitely takes like a vocal leader somewhere in that lineup. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, again, with all that said, just last two for you here. And by the way, it's not every day you get to speak with the UCLA's Champs Award winner, which I'm honored to be doing here today. Um, I'm curious, you had a dad who was a U of M Sports Hall of Famer. How does Miami let you get away? What, en- what ends up, you know, you go play your years at UCLA. How do you end up there instead of Miami? Yeah, my parents just made a mistake, right? They took us <laughs> out to L.A. when I was like 12 years old. They, uh, we just decided, I don't know, we, they decided to take a family vacay out to L.A. And let me tell you something, as nice as Miami is <laughs> and as much time as I spent on that campus as a kid, um, and I'm not saying I would want to live in L.A., mm-hmm. but when you stand at the top of the Los Angeles Tennis Center as a 12-year-old, um, you know, you get some crazy stuff putting your head. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and from that moment on, that's where I wanted to go to school. I thought that that was like the most beautiful tennis stadium and, and, and school that I had seen. And I just had my heart set on it. And, um, and honestly, like at the moment, you know, Miami wasn't, wasn't amazing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. UCLA was kind of at a different level, right? Mm-hmm. UCLA was, was probably top six in the country top five in the country Miami at the time when I was growing up just wasn't and um and listen you know I mean I (laughs) I I love my family and I love the city of Miami which is why I'm back but (laughs) you know I wanted to spread my wings as well and I wanted to kind of do my own thing which is what I ended up doing a couple years abroad, right? That's you. You earned it. Exactly. A couple years abroad in California. Exactly. Yeah, I, like I promised it. I would come home. I kept my word. <laughs> yeah, good. That's you can, yeah, That's all that matters. <laughs> well, my last question for you, and I know it's a little sappy, so I apologize. But when tennis fans watch your team compete this season, what do you hope their takeaway is? 
I hope their takeaway is just, you know, having a ton of respect for what these kids do on a daily basis. And, and honestly, whether they're watching the tennis team, maybe just walking away with their own kids and their own family and just having a ton of respect for what college athletes do at, at every level and the commitment they put in and the fact that so many of them are doing it without a whole heck of a lot of, you know, support from families or, you know, might have families that are across the ocean mm -hmm. and, um, just having a ton of respect for them because they're a great group of kids that, that I think represent our institution just incredibly well. And, and look, that's not just saying, you know, Miami tennis, but that's saying our, our entire student athlete body, you know, whether you go to a soccer game or a basketball mm -hmm. game or a tennis match, you know, I think, I hope that people walk away with an appreciation for, um, for what it takes because it's not easy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, again, it's been uh, super fun for me. Obviously, I started covering it 2018. There's been a lot of Miami talk for us every time we approach May. And, you know, again, it's always been fun to follow your team. So, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show today. Wishing you and your team safety, health, and, of course, success throughout the course of the 2022 season. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. It was a fun talk. I appreciate it. Of course. Take care, Coach. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.